0: Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm in the middle of a fantastic day, and today we are in 2 Samuel in our Bible survey. 2 Samuel is the sequel book to the book of 1 Samuel. Go figure. The author of the book of Samuel is, like 1 Samuel, unknown. Uh, some people think perhaps Nathan penned the book of 2 Samuel and Gad, but again, we don't know for sure. The date of the book of 2 Samuel covers 40 years of Israel's history. Now, compared to other books, that might not be a significant amount of time, but it is a very important 40 years. We slow down in this book. We examine the life of individuals. We look a little closer than we have been, say, in the book of 1 Samuel or even the book of Judges. The theme of the book of 2 Samuel is triumph and trouble. Triumph returns to trouble through sin. Triumph is a result of faith. David knows no defeat in this book. David is a man after God's own heart, the Bible refers to him as, and we see that all throughout this book. But trouble. Is the result of sin and we see that through the life of Saul. We're going to talk about this at great length now in the outline. And the outline of the book is where we really dive into the book of 2 Samuel. We see first of all chapters 1 through 10 are grouped together in the triumphs of David. (laughs) Chapter 1 we see that David mourns the death of Saul and Jonathan. And this is the story where A man comes up and tells him that he killed Saul. Didn't really kill Saul. Some people believe that Saul killed himself and this man was lying. Uh, You can draw your own conclusions by reading it for yourself. But this man tells David this expecting some kind of a reward for killing the king. uh, The king that pursued David to kill him. And instead David says, did you think you would go unpunished for raising your sword against the Lord's anointed? And then has the man put to death? And they mourn for David, they mourn for Jonathan. Jonathan was David's best friend. This was a very dark day in David's life. Chapter 2, we see that David is made king over Judah. But not necessarily over Israel, because in chapter 3 we see the beginning of a civil war between Israel and Judah. Abner joins with David, but is murdered by joab all of this takes place in chapter three and in chapter three we see a lot of uh uh, things take place really quickly but basically what happened was that israel felt like the red-headed stepchild to judah because that was the tribe david was from and they felt like they favored judah over the rest of the tribes david tried to tell them that wasn't true but it got so heated they decided to raise themselves up a king and uh, when that king turned against the political advocate on his behalf Abner, Abner decided to leave that king, ish is his name, and joined up with David but right as he was about to give David his blessings and his help, which would have probably peacefully ended the civil war Joab finds Abner outside the city and Gets revenge for his brother because Abner reluctantly killed Joab's brother because Joab's brother was trying to kill him. So we see that Joab takes vengeance for his brother's death on Abner and kills Abner. David is very upset about this and tells Joab such. But then we see in chapter 4 that Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, is killed. There are some men that come in the night and kill Ishbosheth and they bring his head to King David. Again, another group of people expecting a reward from David for such an evil deed, but they fail to realize that David is a good man. He's not the kind of king that seeks to gain advantage any way possible. He believes in doing the right thing, even if you think it's going to cost you. And so David does the same thing to them that he does to the man who claimed to kill Saul. And they're punished and they're killed for such acts. But once Ishbosheth is gone, Abner is gone, we finally have the end of the civil war. And in chapter 5, we see that David is made king over all Israel. He moves his capital from where it is to Jerusalem. And then we see in chapter 6 that David's wrong and right attempts to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Now this is the cart, the new cart. They want to bring the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem, but David decides to build a cart, and instead of the priests carrying it like God commanded, he decides to stick the ark on a cart and then just have somebody push that instead of doing it the way God told him to. And what happens is the ark loses balance along the road, And a man, who's not a priest, goes to catch the ark, and as he touches it to catch it, he dies instantly. because the law says, if any man was to touch it unlawfully, he dies. And because David decided to try to do this thing through the new cart instead of the way God told him to do it, a man lost his life. There was punishment to be had for not doing it God's way, and this whole story is a lesson for us Christians. It's not just enough to do God's work. We ought to do God's work, God's way. It's not just enough to cut corners and get ahead and try to get as many people in the church as you can, and try to get as many tithers as you can, and try to get ahead by any means possible. We should have some sort of spiritual substance for people. And we should have uh, something to offer them, other than sobriety. You know, it should be amazing and wonderful what we do, and that all comes by doing it God's way. Don't get so caught up in the way you want to do it, you fail to take counsel at the Word of God, not just what to do, but how to do it. So a very important lesson we learn from David's life there with the new cart uh, in chapter 6. But then we see in chapter 7 that God's covenant to build the house of David. Uh, And we see a lot of uh, God's blessings toward David in that chapter, or his promises toward future blessings, rather. Then in chapter 8, we see David uh, consolidates his kingdom, reorganizing, and so forth. And then in chapter 9, we see that David befriends Mephibosheth. And this is another interesting story, because David wakes up one day and he says, Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show honor to, that I may bless and they say there is one left alive, his name is Mephibosheth, and as his house and his family was fleeing uh, from the, I believe it was the Amorites that killed King Saul, and as they were fleeing from the Amorites, if I'm getting that correct, that uh, the person who's in charge of Mephibosheth when he was a child dropped him, or tripped, and when he landed he was paralyzed from the waist down. And so he couldn't really walk or function at all, which is why he wasn't king and Ishbosheth was. But they tell David about this man Mephibosheth and David goes to meet with him. And Mephibosheth at first is afraid that David's come to finish off the house of Saul by killing him. But as time goes on, David makes it clear not only to Mephibosheth but to all of Israel his intentions were never to dethrone the king. His intentions were only ever... To faithfully and loyally serve God's man and God's man would not allow it to be so but he blesses Mephibosheth and he shows his goodwill toward the house of Saul and Mephibosheth is extremely grateful for it don't be so caught up in your own concerns your own fears and anxieties that you forget to look for the good in people because that's what happened with Saul and this and the house of Mephibosheth is a reminder of such look at all the people that got hurt because Saul refused to see things the way they were refused to look for the good in people and refused to ask counsel from the mouth of God just determined that he was wise enough and uh, intelligent enough to discern the truth for himself and decided he didn't need to ask God's help to gain the truth. And then we see chapter 10 is David's wars against Ammon and Syria, which brings us to the second part of the book, chapters 11 through 24. Chapter 11, we see David's two great sins. Uh, The one uh, was sleeping with another man's wife. Uh, He's up on the roof in the middle of the night when he should be on the battlefield with his soldiers. And while he's up there, he looks toward the water. And what do you imagine he thought he was going to see at night at the lake? People didn't have baths or showers back then. He was going to see women bathing themselves attempting privacy but the king decided to be a pervert. And so while he's up there on <clears throat> while he's up there on the the roof he looks toward the lake and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she's bathing herself and she's naked and he's looking gazing and really enjoying himself looking at this naked woman. And uh, time goes on, he goes back downstairs, he tells his, his guards, I want you to go to the lake and grab this woman and bring her to me, basically. And she comes in and he basically intimidates her into sleeping with him. This is not, I'm sure, what she wanted. But you can imagine, I mean, women didn't have the same rights back then that we do now. And if a woman was to deny the king, she would have probably died. So she was terribly afraid and slept with him, probably even though she didn't want to. And David forced himself upon a young maiden of the kingdom that was already married to one of his most faithful soldiers. So that was his first great sin. His second great sin was she came back the next day and told him that, not the next day, but she came back a little bit later. And told him that she was pregnant. So David decides to cover it up by having her husband run out into the front lines of the battlefield, and then, right as they're fixing to make contact with the enemy army, everybody else except for him run back and leave him there to be killed by an army of enemy soldiers. This was David's command to his man Joab. Joab received the commandment from the king and chose not to do it. He put the man in the front lines but when he put him in the front lines he put him with a lot of other veteran soldiers. And they didn't retreat like David wanted them to. They fought the battle. Unfortunately though, through the course of the battle the man still died. And it was still because of David and it was still because he was put on the front lines. So David covered up his sin by basically committing murder. So adultery and murder on top of using his power as a king to force himself upon a woman sexually these are David's two great sins but he he can't even see how horrible a thing he just did he's been so blinded which brings us to chapter 12 Nathan faces David with his sins and he comes to David and he tells David the story of uh, these two neighbors Right, and the one was a very wealthy neighbor, and he had just hundreds of sheep. He had his pick of the litter, great sheep. And his neighbor was a poor man and could only afford one little lamb. This lamb wasn't a part of a herd or a flock to him. This lamb was a pet. Uh, the Bible says David, or not David, but Nathan referred to it as a, sort of like a daughter to this man. He stayed in the house with them. It was a precious animal to them. And through the course of time, Nathan told David that the rich man had a companion come into town and wanted to kill a lamb and prepare it for his neighbor. While he's doing that, he goes next door. Instead of taking one of his hundreds of lambs or sheep, he takes the one little lamb, the precious little lamb from his neighbor, and kills it and butchers it and serves it to his friend. David is infuriated. You know what Nathan did, right? He appealed to his shepherding past. David was a shepherd before he was a king. So he's appealing to the shepherd within David. And David loses it. He is furious. He says, you bring me this rich jerk, this just horrible human being. You bring him before me and he will receive punishment like he's never known. And Nathan sticks his big finger in David's face and he says thou art the man you're the rich jerk that took the land you've got hundreds of wives to choose from to sleep with but you had to have the one that didn't belong to you and David repents and he realizes what he's done and as he repents there's some consequences that come as a result of that but for the rest of that story you'll have to read chapter 12 for yourself Because that brings us to chapter 13. David's daughter Tamar is raped by his son Amnon. They're half, right? They're half brothers and half sisters because they have other mothers and so forth. And uh, Amnon is in turn murdered by Absalom who is Tamar's full brother. Right. More related to Tamar than Amnon was. And so Absalom is infuriated by Amnon. David's not going to seek justice the way Absalom wants him to. And so Absalom takes matters into his own hands. And in chapter 13, Absalom murders Amnon for raping Tamar. A lot of uh, terrible things happen. And a lot of it is a result of David's actions in chapter 12. Where do you think they learned to act that way? They learned to act that way from dad. And then in chapter uh, chapter 14, we see that David permits Absalom to return with a sort of half-hearted forgiveness because Absalom had to leave. Uh, He was going to be severely punished by David for killing his brother. And in chapter 15... David repents of this decision and decides to allow Absalom to return back home. And then in chapter 16, we see that Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, deceives David and Shimei curses David, which leads us to chapter 17 and Absalom's advisors, Ahithophel and Hushai. Now, you see, what happens is, in chapter 15, Absalom rebels against David, and I forgot to tell you that. What happened was, Absalom took the kingdom. David chose not to fight back against his son. He didn't raise a sword against his son, he just abandoned the kingdom. Went out into the the forest, into the countryside, and hid out. And and that's when, in chapter 16, we see uh, Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba, deceives uh, David and tells him that Mephibosheth did things that he didn't actually do. Uh, There are those who believe it's the other way around, but again, you can read it for yourself and determine your own truth. And then we see Shimei, a man as he's traveling out of town, uh, curses David and throws rocks and dirt at him and, you know, just really gives him a hard time. And as his soldiers begin to draw their swords against him, I think it's Joab who draws his sword against him, David says, no, leave him alone, let him say what he wants to. Which brings us back to chapter 17 and Absalom's advisors. Ahithophel has been advising Absalom this whole time uh, what horrible thing he might do next. But God sent a man named Hushai, as sort of like a spy, to be an advisor to uh, Absalom, that he might advise Absalom to do things that are beneficial for David. And Ahithophel and Hushai, as you can imagine, are a little sideways on some decisions as to whether or not uh, to attack David. And uh, when Hushai's advice wins out over Ahithophel's, then then, uh, Ahithophel decides to kill himself as a result. He commits suicide. So then in chapter 18, we see the great battle take place between Absalom's forces and David's forces. And Joab and many of the other soldiers of David's army tell him to stay back behind in this battle. Don't come because they're afraid that his heart will turn in battle and he'll be reluctant to destroy Absalom the way he needs to. Because if he chooses to take it easy on Absalom, Absalom is not going to return the favor to his loyal servants and soldiers. And David, they're afraid David's just going to let Absalom slaughter whoever he wants to. Because it's his son. So David is in a very difficult place. And they ask David, please stay back behind. We'll fight this battle and we'll let you know how it goes. And through the course of the battle, Joab slays Absalom. Puts him to death. As was needed, really and truly. And then we see David mourning for the death of his son when word is returned uh, to him. Now this is really a sort of a double-edged sword because these soldiers are returning with uh, victory on their lips. They're coming back and telling their king, we won the battle. The kingdom is yours again, and they're expecting celebration and joy and praise. But when they come and tell David that his men won the battle, he's heartbroken. He's sad. He's distraught. And it's a little discouraging to these soldiers that he went out and he wept, and he cried, and he sat, and he didn't even move or cheer or rejoice. That they just risked their lives for him, and he seemingly didn't even care. so it is kind of a double-edged sword because it was his son and of course that's tragic but at the same time these men have been loyal to him and his son tried to kill him and kill everybody he loved and i didn't talk about this because it's a bit risque you know compared to everything else we've talked about but david left uh 10 of his harlots behind so that they could help Absalom run the household and he drug them all ten of them up to the roof of the house in the middle of the day uh, had sex with them on top of the roof in front of the entire kingdom so that everybody could see him defiling his father's harlots this is bible you guys I'm not making this up I'm not putting it in there this is what happened this is the Absalom that was just slain he was no longer the good boy that david once knew he was no longer the champion for justice for tamar he had been warped into something worse and we might cheer because you know absalom killed the rapist and that sounds like a wonderful thing but when you allow yourself to cross that line it changes you you turn into something you never intended to sin as it said Takes you farther than you want to go. And that's what happened to Absalom. He was warped from a champion of justice, a good son to David, to a rebel, to a defiler, to a horrible thing for all of Israel. And he needed to be dealt with. Well, David refused to see that, and he continued to mourn and never cheered or rejoiced over the victory of his men. So in chapter 19, we see Joab come to David and he basically tells him, if you don't get up and come back to the throne right now, stop your mourning, stop your whining and complaining, you won't have one loyal soldier left to you. This is not true, but Joab is beginning to sort of regret not choosing the other side. I worked so hard for you, I risked my life, I did these things for you, and you don't even appreciate them. And basically he feels, everybody feels that way because that's how he feels. Basically, if you don't get up and come to the throne right now, I will no longer be faithful to you. Loyalty should not be a fickle thing. We should be loyal whether good times or bad times come. Now David hadn't done anything harsh against Joab. David was dealing with a very difficult situation. Joab had no right to repeal his loyalty to David because David was still a good king to Joab but finally we do see David in chapter 19 restored to the throne then in chapter 20 we see that Sheba revolts against David David's very worried about it because he just got through with another uh, rebellion but he doesn't necessarily, he's, he's gathering an army. He hasn't quite charged yet. And so David sends a few men to deal with it. And it gets a little hairy there in chapter 20. I'll encourage you to read that for yourself. But then in chapter 21, we see three years of famine hit Israel. We see the Gibeonites take vengeance on the house of Saul from when Saul uh, killed them unfairly and uh, they take vengeance on the house of saul by taking uh some of the family members that are uh indirectly related to saul uh through one of his through his i think it was a concubine something like that and uh, then we see saul and hit or the family of saul and hit the sons as a result if i can get it out hello are in fact killed uh and the could nice take their vengeance on the house of saul in this way The three years of famine, God says, will not be repealed until the Gibeonites get their vengeance on the house of Saul. And so David goes and asks them, what is it you want? And this is what they wanted. Those of the house of Saul, those of his family tree, we want them brought here and killed. And they were. And then at the end of the chapter, we see war with the Philistines. So you can see how David had no time of peace during his time as king. He had no chance or opportunity to raise the economy or build anything for the Lord or for Israel, he spent his entire time as king fighting one war after another, dealing with one hardship after another. And uh, the end of chapter 21 shows us just such an occasion. Chapter 22 is David's song of deliverance. Uh, You can also might reference Psalm 18 uh, for that sort of a thing. But then we see in chapter 23, David's last words uh, as certain positions of the kingdom, his last words to the nation as a whole. Uh, And then we see a great description of David's mighty men. You see, throughout these stories, when you read them, you hear about certain mighty men, David's mighty men, and they went and did this, and they went and did that. In chapter 23, we get a great description of who these mighty men were that the Bible kept talking about and what their great feats actually were. And it's really a very interesting read. Uh, And then chapter 24, the last chapter of the book, is David's sin in taking a census. Uh, God wants him to have faith, but instead he chooses to count the people and uh, receives peace in his numbers rather than in his faith in God. And he gets to choose his punishment and he chooses uh, a a pestilence, a a plague, if you will, to sort of sweep over the people that doesn't uh, go away until he buys a threshing floor from uh, Arana and builds uh, an altar there and makes the proper sacrifices. And then God removes the plague, removes the pestilence from the people. So that is the book of 2 Samuel and its outline. And through all this, we can see some very special things. The key word for the book of 2 Samuel is the word king and the word, or the phrase rather, before the Lord. The key verse, which I'll pull up for you really quickly, is 2 Samuel, obviously, chapter five, and it's verse, uh, rather verses four through five. Which says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So 2 Samuel really is all about the time of King David. A few special features in this book are the lessons learned from David's sin. uh, One of which is, beware of the days of prosperity. For they will entice you to do things you shouldn't do. Number two is that sins always lead to greater sin. Three is a fall uh, without always precedes a fall within. And so that is something also to be careful of. Number four is that sin yields a harvest of horrible things. And that if we are children of God, we're saved, born-again Christians, he's our Heavenly Father. And as a Heavenly Father, he will punish his children for disobedience. Don't be afraid of the punishment. Be afraid if there is no punishment. Because then the Bible says, are you bastards and not sons? If we're children of God, we'll be punished for our sins. But allow these things to teach us. Sin yields a harvest of horrible things. And then fifthly, one man's sin affects a multitude of lives. Your mistakes don't just affect you. And that that might be your way of explaining it away, right? You might say, I'll just take the consequences. I'll do the wrong thing and I will take the punishment afterwards. But your sin doesn't just punish you. It hurts all kinds of people around you too, people who didn't do anything wrong and yet the sin permeates their life as well because they choose to associate with a known sinner. And doing so has compromised their Christian life, their relationship with the Lord and they're punished because of your sins. You say that's not fair, it's very fair. You gotta learn your sins don't just affect you Uh, another special feature of the book of second samuel is uh, psalm 51 which reveals david's um revealed and contrite heart and psalm 51 is uh, an incredible psalm Uh, david was great in sin but great in repentance and psalm 51 is his repentant prayer uh, after he sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband and Nathan came in and made him repent. And in that moment where he truly realized what he'd done, Psalm 51 tells us exactly what was in his heart. And so that's a, another special feature of the book that you can go and see exactly what was in his mind at that time. And then we look at Christ in the book. David is several times throughout this book a picture of Christ. Um, we see firstly is the promises of uh, the Davidic covenant that is the covenant that God made with David that his family would produce the Christ the Messiah and that that Davidic covenant would be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and then we see another Christ in the book is the story of David and Mephibosheth and that is the story of the Lord in us we are Mephibosheth that uh, he had every right and every power to destroy us for our sins just like David could have destroyed Mephibosheth but chose rather to show mercy and compassion. And so that is our study for the book of 2 Samuel. Hope you guys have enjoyed yourselves, and we'll see you next week.